You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Now, politics has always been a touchy subject, but these days it feels like our political climate is more divided than ever. You can see the tension it creates not only at work, in our social circles and on social media, but especially at home, among families with teenagers. It's gotten to the point where political differences are causing serious conflicts and driving a wedge between parents and their teens. If you're amid political disagreements with your teen, there are ways to bridge that gap and repair your relationship before things get worse. This is Help, I Have a Teenager. I'm Jo Lamble, a clinical psychologist. And I'm Ginny Mansberg. I'm a GP. I don't know about you, Ginny, but I loved having family discussions when I was growing up as a kid and then also with my kids when they were teenagers because teenagers got such strong opinions. They do. Which is great. It is good. It can be really frustrating when you just think, you know, you're entitled to your own opinion, not your own facts. Sometimes they come up with their own facts, you know, care of the University of TikTok. But don't you think they do need to often have really extreme views on things to be able to work through that in their minds. And the whole idea is to be able to have discussions, not to just, you know, shut them down if you think, hey, that's not a fact. And vice versa, for them not to shut you down and, you know, try to cancel you 87 times a day. That's right. So later on in this episode, we are going to be giving advice to a teenager who doesn't feel heard by her parents who have different political views to her. But our first question is all about what we can do to talk more positively with our kids around the dinner table. Yes, this question comes from Anna, who has a seven-year-old and three tweens. What a busy household. Hi, Ginny and Joe. Of all the podcasts I listen to, yours is the one I never miss, and I look forward to your wisdom every Friday. I've also loved listening to your audiobook. I love you, Anna. <laughs> it's official. We have four teenage children in years, 11, 10, 9 and 7. Wow, I call that fertile. Both the bookends are neurodivergent. We feel like we need to do a family reset after a pretty tumultuous three months of a major injury to me. I'm just returning to walking, my goodness. The loss of my father, the kid's grandfather, and eight weeks of very rainy school holidays also known as too much screen time. What would you suggest are some dinner table ideas where we could get the children talking positively about the family, each other, and us as parents? We eat as a family Monday to Thursday, but my elder struggles to be part of the conversation due to his ASD social skill limitations. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Yes, thank you, Anna. What an excellent question. Hmm. I think, you know, that's brilliant. And we are very sorry to hear about your dad. And, and your major, you. Yeah, and your major injury. No wonder it's been a obviously really intense time. So there's probably been some pretty heavy conversations going on when there's not been the rain-induced screen time. But I don't know about you, Jenny, but I really think it's a good opportunity for you not to put too much on you here, Anna, but if you can take the lead on this. I think what's really good, and I know I used to do this very purposefully, is to plan what you're going to talk about at dinner. I used to collect stories, things that I heard or read or just saw. And if I couldn't think of something, I'd try and remember something from my growing up or remind the kids of some funny things they did when they were younger and just save them up for those mealtimes. How this really works is if you don't share it until it's mealtime. So even if you see one of your kids or your partner if you have one, you don't tell them. You can give them a teaser 
they oh I've got a doozy tonight I've got a great story to tell everyone and you just show that this is a time where we can treasure because it is storytelling time even if you're taking the lead and they're just listening and having some laughs, you normally find, well, I certainly have found growing up and also with my kids, is they start doing the same thing. They start sharing their story and then outdo each other a little bit. And remember, this humour is never about laughing at someone else's expense, you know, not that sort of humour. Or it could be some good news or some potential good news, but you're saving it up so then everyone is looking forward to what's coming up at dinner. Oh, I love that. I wanted to reiterate that I just think it's amazing that you're doing family dinners four nights a week, which has been shown in research to reduce your kids' risk of anxiety and depression and to build resilience and it's just so fantastic. So I think... And keeps up screen time. Yeah. You know, a little bit, doesn't it? Because people are just, you know, wolfing down their meals so they can get back to their rooms and do their Mm -hmm. own thing because... Let's face it, and we've oh, I've certainly been guilty of this. You can sometimes fall into the trap of using mealtime. Okay, we're all together. Can we just talk about yeah. the state of the bathrooms, please? Yes. And- <laughs> you know, if mealtimes are more about can we just, you know, go through some house rules again or can we just, you know, give a little lecture on this or that, then you know, there's going to be heads down and just eating as quickly as possible. Whereas meal time is, okay, quick, mum, what are we going to say? What's the story? And go, okay, ready? Yeah. <laughs> be dramatic as you can. You know, then people look forward to it. And as you say, Anna, it hopefully will be more positive because, again, I think if we just say how was everyone's day, those sort of open-ended questions, yeah, they go nowhere. Yeah, whereas if you are going to ask about their day, it's often a good idea to say, okay, you said this was going on today, how did it go? Yep. So then you're following up to show that you've listened to what they said last night or last week or whatever. Yeah, I love that. I was getting the feeling, I don't know, Anna, whether I'm reading between the lines here, that you want more positivity here. Were the kids starting to bicker? Because we do hear this a little bit in families, particularly when circumstances have meant that they're not able to get out much, you know, because no one's able to drive them and rainy school holidays. And they're pretty close in age. They are so close in age. So I was going to ask you, Joe, about tips for when siblings have just got into the bad habit of bickering, it's just sort of mean comments to each other all the time. How do you diffuse that? Because it can be just unpleasant to be in a room with them and then everybody wants to get the hell away from the kitchen table. Exactly, because then you're, as a parent, often trying to pull up the one who's mm-hmm. who might be saying the mean comments and then trying to console the one who's not. So, yeah, that is not a pleasant mealtime. And that's why I think the preparation for these mealtimes is good. If you come in with a teaser and you start a new tradition where we tell stories, let's make this a storytelling time, is going to be hopefully less likely, you know, to lead to those sort of of bickering fights. That's your carrot. What do you think about having a bit of a stick involved by saying at this family dinner table there are no screens and there's no mean comments and if you want to make a mean comment, plates down, go to bed, dinner's over for you. Ask the doctor in the room, I'm going to tell you your kid won't starve to death. They'll be fine if they miss a dinner time but I just wanted to ask you Joe, what do yeah, you think nice. about setting some rules around not bickering, just having this one time, this one great time that nobody is mean to each other. Do you think that's an okay rule? I think that's a beautiful rule. The only little caveat I put on it is to not announce that every time. Right. Because, you know, we're going back to psychobabble here. Psychobabble. Psychobabble. The dominant thought principle. So if you put out there, hey, come on, no mean stories, no nasty comments, a lot of kids can think, right, mean thought, (laughs) nasty comment. Whereas if you say, let's make each other laugh, Let's make each other cry with, you know, an emotional story or with some excitement. The other thing you can do with bickering kids is you can get one to help the other. 
you know. Mm-hmm. So you can say, look, is anything going on that you might, you know, your siblings can help you with? Because siblings are often giving better advice than we are. The parents, because yeah. they're closer in age, they're there, they're going to say, oh, mum, that won't work. <laughs> they can give better advice. So that's a nice way also to get them to have empathy for each other and to lean into each other rather than just saying, hey, no mean comments. But I think it's a good golden rule for the table, like, as you say, no screen time. Yeah. So top tips, what's your number one top tip? Prepare. <laughs> Prepare. Do your homework. Do your homework. I used to seriously make notes on my phone saying, right, I'm going to tell that story. I'd see this bird or some weird dog on the way to work and I'd think, oh, I'm going to talk about that tonight. A, a bird. I yes. wish I was at your dinner, <laughs> dinner table. Well, it was a very funny bird story, but anyway. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so my top tip is along with the amazing incentives to have a nice time at the dinner table that you hope your kids will remember and want to replicate in their own future families. I think I would just say as a rule that our dinner table is a place of harmony and peace and kindness and that's what we're bringing to the dinner table. And if you are not in the mood for that, you can excuse yourself. See you later. I feel like crap and no one understands. Why don't you ever take my side? You're not listening to me. This teenager with a dilemma writes... My mum listens to this podcast and I'm hoping to get some advice from you to help me, but also I hope that she can hear it and be more understanding. I love my mum and dad, but we have very different political beliefs. I'm sure this is common for a lot of teens at the moment, given what's going on in the world with war, elections, etc. But it pains me to talk about topics like COVID-19, the voice referendum, and even recent events like Invasion Day. How can I speak to my parents about world topics without getting into an argument with them? It hurts me that they can never take my side because my whole family is very right-wing, just like them, and I am left-wing. It makes me feel unseen by people who love me because our political views don't align. I'm so glad that you wrote this in, Anonymous. This is just such a great question. And how articulate are you? So articulate, clearly. And I loved what you said it makes me feel unseen by people who love me. And I think any parent would be devastated to hear that because they don't want their child to feel unseen. That's not judgmental. It's not mean. It's just saying this is how I feel, which is the way most people encourage communication just to talk about your feelings because people can't negate your feelings. They can negate your facts. I am wondering, Anonymous, if you can't convince them that your way is right even though you know it to be true, you know for sure 100% there's no value in anything that they could possibly be saying. If you can't persuade them, they might go into their corner, retreat into their corner because they might also feel that they're not being heard. But I think great conversations start with listening and trying to understand why do you feel that way? Perhaps you can start that ball rolling and lead it yourself about being a little bit more open-minded instead of being combative. I'm not saying that you are combative, but if that is happening, if everybody in the family is taking to their own extreme corners, then you're probably never going to meet in the middle and everyone's just going to have to defend their turf. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, but I think the one thing in your email here when you're saying they never take my side, and I think that speaks to what Ginny's talking about here, is that a good discussion you can remain on your own side. You don't have to ever come to the point where you agree with each other. That's not the idea. You know, hopefully you can enjoy the fact that people, you know, share views on things that feels really good, but you can also love and be with people who don't share the same views. But if you're going into it thinking I need them to take my side on this, then that can lead to that combative 
discussion that Ginny's talking about. Leave that bit out of it and say, okay, I'm not trying to get them to take my side. I just want to be seen and I just want to be heard, which you clearly do. I was going to suggest a good way in is to ask your parents what it was like when they were teenagers. I mean, you're saying, and I we believe you, but the whole family is very right wing in the extended family is too. But I would imagine there was something at least that your parents disagreed with their own parents about when they were teenagers and ask them, were there things that came up when they were teenagers that they just couldn't believe that their own parents wouldn't see their point of view? That's the good point about a discussion is listen more than you talk. And if you don't know what to say, then ask lots of questions because the more you lean in and ask them, how was it for you? How is it for you now? You're modeling and hopefully, I mean, it sounds weird that the teen is modeling, but you're in a great position to model to your parents for them to listen to you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you're talking about, Joe, is coming from a place of empathy. So not assuming that your parents are morons who don't know anything, who are not up with the latest news, who don't get it, who are not listening, who don't love you, who don't care about you because they don't agree with certain of your political opinions. None of that is necessarily true. But if you have empathy from where they're coming from, I want to give you an example. A lot of us in our age groups, religion played a really big part in the way we were growing up. And we were taught that certain things were sinful. And in fact, they were illegal when we were children. So same-sex couples, for example, or same-sex sexual attraction. We were taught that that was immoral, you know, against religion and illegal. It's very hard, you know, to turn 360. Now, most of us have, but you can have empathy for what it was like to have everything you were taught as you were growing up suddenly thrown on its head. And it is hard. And so maybe your parents, they are bringing a different perspective there. But I think if you want to try and understand and try and listen and try and believe that they do love you and that they are smart and that their opinions have some value, if you try and listen to them, it might help you have a better discussion with them. And I'm sure they will mirror that back to you. That is what tends to happen if everybody puts down the boxing gloves. Ginny, I've heard so many people saying there's been disagreements in the current climate over so many issues. And if the parents and teens aren't arguing, then often everyone's arguing with the grandparents. And again, thinking that the grandparents are fossils and idiots and how can they have these such out-of-date views? But it's the same thing. Find out why, you know, that they're at their age and from their background and from decades of thinking a certain way, it's hard. And so if we come from that point of empathy, as you say, to say, okay, let me understand why do you think the way you do and how long have you thought this way? And then hopefully they'll listen to you. And if it comes to the point where you just can't, get what you want and that's to be seen, that's to be heard and to be able to have a discussion, then I'm hoping that there's someone in extended family who could be, you know, more aligned or willing to listen, an aunt or an uncle or a family friend or someone where you're not feeling so isolated as being this one single voice against the chorus. Now, if you enjoyed this episode of Help, I Have a Teenager, support us by sharing the podcast around and recommending it to your friends. And if you have a question for us, please, please, please email a written question or a voice memo to podcast at mamamia.com.au or text the Mamma Mia Facebook Messenger account. Now, if you're on the lookout for another episode of Help, I Have a Teenager to listen to, a few weeks back we dropped a special crossover episode featuring our very own lovely Jo Lamble and our fabulous Holly Wainwright from Mamma Mia Out Loud. Now, they discussed what's the right time to hand over a phone to your tween. 
Joe dished out some great advice on keeping a positive vibe about phones and knowing when your kid might be ready for one. Plus, they chatted about the ideas of setting up phone contracts between parents and kids. It's just awesome. Give it a listen. It seriously is such a great episode that you really don't want to miss. A link to that episode will be in our show notes. Thank you to all our beautiful listeners. I'm Jo Lamble. I'm Ginny Mansberg and we'll see you next week. If you would love unlimited access to everything women are talking about right now, subscribe to Mamma Mia. An annual Mamma Mia subscription includes discounted tickets to Mamma Mia live events, subscriber-exclusive stories, podcasts and videos from Australia's leading independent women's media brand, 